Good morning. It's a pleasure to be in front of you and a great privilege always to be able to give you the Word of God and to know that you came looking for it to take it home with you to carry you through the week. And I hope, my prayer is by the end of this short devotion that you will be able to say with the apostles, it was good, Lord, for us to be here today. Amen. So put that first picture up there. This is a guy that Mary and I and and our son Blake had a privilege to meet last December. His name is Tyler Skuvenek. I know there should be a U if you're going to pronounce it that way, but it's Skuvenek. Let me tell you the story, how we met him and and what's interesting about meeting him. Uh, Through a series of events, our youngest, Blake, that most of you know, plays football. He was at North Texas University, but was dismissed, and so we were gone begging, looking for a place for him to go to school and possibly play football, and you know from the dad's point of view, get somebody else to pay for his schooling. <laughs> and so uh, he went off to Tyler Junior College last fall, but then we were looking for a, a four-year school for him to go to. And really, the, this school where Tyler works is the only school that showed him a lot of attention. They said, we are interested in having him as a kicker-punter you can come see him. And this guy, Tyler, called us on the phone. Well, you know, I'm a dad. So I went immediately to the internet. And this is the picture that I got looking at him. And I, I'm also very interested. I've been down this road. It isn't my first rodeo. These men have a big impact on your own sons. And Mary and I are in the business of raising leaders. And these men can derail that pretty fast or enhance it. And I've learned that over the years. So I'm looking at these coaches whenever I look on there for who are they, what are they like, how old are they, what's their record, what, what can I find out about their character. And I, the first thing I thought when I saw this picture was, he's just a boy. This is going to, if he goes there, this is going to be my son's position coach. I've looked at what year he graduated from college. He's got to be just 27 years old. My son's 21. He's just a boy, you know. And then Tyler calls a few days later, you know, come for your official visit. So you go on official visit, the coach of the position that your son's playing, they babysit you all weekend because they're recruiting you, right? So Tyler is our fine young man, young man. He's like a kid to us, right? I've got children older than him. And uh, he's driving us around us for a Friday to a Sunday. And uh, of course, Mary and I are love to visit and find out about people and and also evangelize. So we're talking to Tyler while we're driving around from restaurant to school to whatever. And we say, what do your parents do? And he said, well, my my mom and dad have both been professors at Texas Tech University. And my dad was in physics. My mom, I think, is in mathematics. And he said, but my dad has, uh, in the last few years, he's moved into administration. Oh, that's kind of curious, right? A little bit later in the visit, I said something else about, now tell me what your dad does in administration. Well, he just, he kind of helps administer the, the college at Texas Tech. So he didn't really want to talk about it. He wanted to talk about Blake and football or whatever it seemed like. We got through the whole weekend, and we're about to leave. We've got our bags all out in the hotel lobby. And this other coach walks up, and he says to Tyler in front of us, did you tell them what your dad does? And, you know, my ears perked up like, oh, this sounds pretty cool. He goes, and Tyler got real sheepish, and he said, he's the president of Texas Tech University. (laughs) He hid that all weekend from us. Isn't Isn't that interesting? So I went from thinking, he's just a boy, to I spent the weekend with the president of Texas Tech University's son. Of course, I had me in questions. I had 100 questions I wanted to ask, and we were leaving. So I got time. Maybe sometime I'll get to ask him a few 
of those questions, but not yet. Now, I told you that story. Kind of think of the children's message with the actors that played different superheroes. I told you that story to say it's kind of a process of discovery to be finding out who people are, right? And it was that way for the disciples a thousand times more intense than me and just learning about a son of a president of a college when they were with Jesus. You might remember when it says that the first miracle he ever did, remember what the first miracle was of Jesus? The wedding at Cana, the very last line that John's the only one that records the story, John says, the disciples saw what he did and they believed in him, right? Remember the great catch of fish and Peter? And the, the, you know, Peter falls in the bottom of the boat because he realized he was in the presence of God. Um, there's time after time in these miracles, when they see Jesus doing them, they are learning to believe in. When he calmed the storms, it says they looked at him and said, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So all these miracles helped his 12 new leaders to believe that they were really with the guy from heaven that they were going to proclaim to the world as the Savior. But the transfiguration took the cake. The resurrection of Christ also, right, is the next big hill, as big as the transfiguration, but the transfiguration took the cake because they got to see Jesus not just do something only God could do, but they got to see in his person the glory of God. And the glory of God is a term throughout the Bible. In the Hebrew, it's got a fancy name. It's the Hebrew words, kavod Adonai. It's the glory of the Lord. Remember how it appeared uh, on the Mount Sinai, and then later it appeared over the tent, the tabernacle, and then later when Solomon dedicated the temple, it appeared there. Well, this is the same glory, the bright the brightness of all the light you can imagine in the universe coming glowing from this one person and all around him. And then next to him are these two guys from the Old Testament that are in heaven, Moses and Elijah. And it says in this text, we're going to read it now, it says they were glorified too. They had the glory around them. This blew their minds. They already believed somewhat that Jesus was God, but this one pushed them over the edge that they knew they were with God. And that was very, very valuable because he was about to go through miserable death, all that suffering, and they were about to go proclaim him to the world and they needed to trust that they had God and they had the proclamation right. So you're, what you're doing, you're in a meta-narrative, but you're coming down to one little story in the narrative and how these men are being given a gift. And it's Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. So let's go to the text, and I'll read it to you. And you can follow along either from page 7 or from the screens, but you can just listen silently. About eight days after Jesus said this, now, whenever you see something like that, said this, you need to kind of circle that in your mind. What is this? I'll talk about it. After eight days, after, after he said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him and went up to a, high, a, a mountain to pray. He's in the region of Galilee in the north. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now, you know how bright that is. Think of a welder's arc when you see that, that bright. Two men, Moses and Elijah, 
appeared in glorious splendor themselves, talking with Jesus. What did they talk about? They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. You know what that means. It's a, a rough departure, right? The suffering and death. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. You kind of want to say, what is it with these guys? Whenever these things happen, they get very sleepy. In Gethsemane when he prayed, here when he prayed, these very, they're very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, leaving Jesus, Peter said to them, Let's hold on to this. Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Go get them. He did not know what he was saying. You ever had a, a really great dream? Not a bad dream, a great dream. And when you woke up, you tried to get back to sleep to get back in the dream? Okay, I've done it. Maybe I'm dumb, but I, I've done that. I've got to get back into the dream. I'm, gonna, I'm missing that. Get, go get those guys. Bring them back here. Let's, let's revel in the glory. While Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. Remember that cloud on Mount Sinai, that cloud on the temple? It covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This account is in three Gospels. In one of the other Gospels it says, Jesus came over and touched him and said, Don't be afraid. And then he said, Don't tell anybody until after I've risen from the dead. And then another Gospel writer says, As they're going down from the mountain, they're going, What's he talking about dying and rising from the dead for? Which he'd been talking about before this event. So you see how the disciples are, are struggling to get the, the meaning and the significance of Jesus and his life and the meaning of his salvation work, and, and yet they're, they're being firmed up in believing that he is God, come to save us. That's what's happening. Peter struggled with this a lot because we know this because the, the gospel writers record how Peter talked with Jesus and listened to him. Now, listening to someone the way God the Father says listen to him here is to listen with a heart open to the meaning of what the speaker is trying to get across, right? Listening is not equal to hearing. Listening, when God says listen to him, is listening to understand and believe what he is trying to tell you. Well, remember, right before this, eight days earlier... Remember I said I'd talk about this phrase after he had said this eight days later? What he had said to the disciples was, I'm going to Jerusalem, you're coming with me. Our own people are going to hand me over to the Romans. The Romans are going to beat me and torture me, and they're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to raise again, rise again. Now, if you're listening to that, you're supposed to take that in for what that means for your life. But Peter is only hearing. And so in those eight, that story, eight days before transfiguration, Peter says to Jesus, Master, this will never happen to you. You're not supposed to die. You're the Messiah. And you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He didn't say, oh, Peter, you kind of have it wrong. He said what? 
get behind me, Satan, because you're mindful of the things of men, of people, and not the things of God. That right there, before you get too quick to tell Peter how, set, how much he's disappointed you, that right there, my friends, is your biggest problem and mine too. We are mindful of the things of people more than the things of God. And through continual gospel ministry, the Savior that kept doing miracles and also transfigured in front of them, he has to keep teaching us about the things of God because we tend to fall back in believing and trusting only the things of people in this temporary life. And so when he said, get behind me, Satan, he wanted to jar Peter and all of them to pay attention and listen. And yet, and yet, eight days later, when they're at the transfiguration, what does Peter say? Let's do something that people like to do. Let's put up a shrine. And you can be living statues in the shrine. And we'll... I don't even know if Peter's thinking of the rest of the world coming up there to the mountain to see him, but he's thinking, we'll, get, we'll hang out with you, and we will glorify you and honor you. People build monuments on earth. God comes to earth to save us for heaven. Things of people building monuments on earth. Things of God rescue us and take us to heaven. And we can miss the significance of that. So we can want to collect. There's so many things we want to collect. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to use an illustration here. So if you'll go to that picture. Um, a couple of times in my driving career, I've come around a curve or over a hill, and I've seen a helicopter coming, and I've seen the traffic backed up. Have you ever seen that? Something like that? And the helicopter is one of these airlifting helicopters. They're coming to a scene of an accident to lift somebody out of there, Right? So just picture you're at one of these scenes and the helicopter is coming. Now, helicopters are among the coolest flying machines you've ever seen, right? It's just amazing how can a, a, a swinging wing like that, a propeller, and it can move in all these different directions like a, like a bumblebee or something, and they come down. And if a little kid's in the car with you, they're probably thinking more, cool, look at the helicopter. But you're an adult, you know when you see that helicopter and traffic backed up, something awful has happened, right? So awful that they've got, someone's life is so close to the edge of death that they've got to not just bring an ambulance and through all the traffic, they have to bring a helicopter and get them out of here fast. And they've got to get them to help. And maybe you've even prayed for those people, said, God, save their life and help them and thank you that you've got people like that with helicopters come to save them and you you're you're on a different plane than a little boy schoolboy, saying cool look at that helicopter that's the difference between being mindful of the things of people and the things of God Jesus is the helicopter have you ever heard news stories or read reports about the price of a helicopter ride like that? One time I heard, I read one where the people that had been rescued almost had a heart attack when they saw that they were going to have to pay a $30,000 bill for that one helicopter ride. See, the interesting thing is we, we've got all these machines and we, we save people, but somebody's got to pay for it, right? 
The difference, remember the similarity? Now the difference between Jesus being our helicopter is that he came in air flight at us away from our demise. And he paid for it. And the price tag was a lot more than $30,000. He paid for it. And to look at this story of the transfiguration of Jesus, they're supposed to be seeing Jesus in all of his glory, not just saying, wow, he is magnificent. He is glorious. Let's build shrines for him. They're supposed to be saying, wow, the guy that's saving us could stay in heaven in that kind of glory. And he gave it up to come do what he keeps telling us he's going to do and die. The most profound, awful experience in life is death. And he came to do all of that to rescue us from the power of death, to give us eternal life. And one of the ways they're supposed to get that, that what I'm telling you from the scene, is there's Elijah and Moses, two men who live very hard lives, but are living in the glory of heaven. They had, they had to, Peter and them, who think, they were struggling to think that the, the Messiah was going to build up a kingdom on earth and this is what it was all about. They had to be so encouraged later as they meditated on this that they saw two people from God's Old Testament story, the greats, Elijah and Moses, and they were glorious. They were glorified along with Jesus. Think of what they thought as they went through their own suffering and death afterwards and they thought, but we're going to get what Elijah and Moses got. It wasn't just for Jesus, was it? But it's for all those who trust in him. And Elijah and Moses trusted in Jesus before he was born. And they're talking to him and encouraging him what's about to take place. And Peter and James and John are taking it all in. Now, I don't, I'm going to tell you something now that is just a curious thought. You see the picture of Elijah and Moses next to Jesus? One on the right and one on the left. It was a few days after this transfiguration that James and John sent their mother. No, they, yeah, mother was there. Sent their mother to Jesus to ask what? When you come in all your glory, can... One of my boys sit on your right and the other on your left. Do you see how the, the human mind is already trying to take the, the, the story of the great grand salvation and we all get to be there and make it something that's somewhat of a shrine for us? Can we, can we have that? And you know, remember what Jesus said to them? He said, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And he's talking about his suffering. And they go, oh yeah, we can. And he goes, you will. And James was the first to be martyred. And John lived a very uh, hard, struggling life and was the last of the twelve to be martyred. You see what Jesus is telling them? He's telling them, the life that you're seeking to be glorious first is actually a gift of grace in heaven. What I want you to seek is a life like mine on earth. 
So the father comes in this scene, and the big cloud comes around, and all the glory is around them. And, and what, is, what is the father who glorified Elijah and Moses, whose glory is around Peter, James, and John, what does the father tell Peter, James, and John in his short, short sermon? This is my son. Listen to him. <laughs> and then Jesus says, as after the cloud leaves, don't tell anybody till after I've risen from the dead. There was so much from the meta-narrative that had to play out. There was so much learning and growing that those three men, along with their friends, the other apostles, had to learn to get the gospel and its proclamation right. There was so much, here it comes, to the meaning of their lives that they still didn't fully get because they're still trying to think, I want my trophy now. That Jesus, God the Father said, just listen to him. It's going to take some time. You're going to have to let this thing play out. But you're trying to say stuff way too early. You're trying to judge way too early whether what you're supposed to do with this story. Now, we live in a society that's very centered around sports, don't we? You know, the great the Olympics, the you know, football, baseball, basketball, you know, volleyball, golf, all those things, right? Uh, one time when, uh, uh, before his fall from grace, when um, uh, Tiger Woods won the Masters, I don't know, second time or something, one, the, the, the uh, reporter said, I wonder what it's like standing where he is at the precipice of history. And one of my pe- preacher friends said, what is that? I mean, he hit a golf ball in a, you know, a little cup and did it very well. And, and then you saw his fall from grace, right? You see what I'm trying to say? We've got this inside of us that life is so valuable and is so meaningful, and we, we get that right. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. People are awesome. Every person is valuable and important. And, 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 and it is God, God in heaven said when he made us, you're made in my image. You are great. We have a sense of greatness, all of us, but here's where we fail. We think our greatness is something to be grasped on earth that we exploit for our own consumption, for our own worth that we would give ourselves based on whatever greatness. So, if we're not in our life experiencing all the greatness in our financial development or our, what we've collected for ourselves, if we're not fully, you can go to the next slide, if we're not fully getting all the accomplishments we had hoped to, if we cannot get that degree that we wanted or get into that school, if we cannot get the affections of that young man or that young lady that we had always hoped for, if we thought we had it all going for us and the boss looked us in the eye and said, we really don't need your services anymore, or the sense of failure or the sense of success in the earthly little stories tend to mess us up in our heads because we're thinking life, if it's going to have meaning, has to have some trophies for me. i got to get some recognition, some value, some importance, and we're all being like Peter, James, and John were. The value you're looking for, like a trophy, is a gift of grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. You, my friends, when you see 
Elijah and Moses up on that mountain with Jesus, you are going to be glorified by the grace of God covering your sins. You are going to glow like they did. You are going to experience heaven forever. It's a gift. But any experience in this life until you get there is not to be idolized by you like it's somehow the symbol of your greatness. Your years of service in your job, your years of, you can count as anniversaries in your marriage. You can go any area that you and your own heart know that you have been very disappointed or very proud of and you do not need to be ungrateful or unhappy about those things, but you don't need to exploit them to get your sense of value. You get it from the glories of heaven that are promised through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then you go, well, what's the meaning of life then? Aha! The meaning of life is a journey of service. Remember when those two brothers came and said, can one sit on your right and your left? You know what Jesus said? After they said, well, we can be baptized with the baptism you're going to be baptized with through your suffering. We can suffer. He said, well, to, to sit at your right or left isn't even mine to grant, but the Father's alone. But he said, whoever wants to be the greatest among you, let him be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Do you want to have meaning in your life? Then stop collecting anything. Not even memories. You can go through life enjoying things, but don't be collecting them as they give you a sense of value, because they don't. Live a life of service. The value of self-sacrifice for the good of, the, of a larger group, your church, your family, your community, to live for the salvation of other people, for the betterment of other people. Divorce yourself from your old lovers of trying to build trophies for yourself on earth. And don't think that you're really doing God a favor by building trophies for Him on earth other than to tell the grand story of His love for people. For a moment, I'm going to take you back to the coach named Tyler. I told you I had a lot of questions when, uh, <laughs> when we were walking out the door, right? And I found out he's the son of the president of a major university. All I could think to ask was, Tyler, why didn't you tell us? We asked you what your dad did. And very humbly, this is what he said. It wasn't relevant to what your weekend is all about. Isn't that cool? The things that we amass for ourselves, they're not relevant to what your life is all about. What's relevant is God loves you so much that he redeemed your soul. And he loves this world so much that he left you here to be like him, to be, have redemptive qualities for all the people around you. Lose yourself. Don't exploit who your daddy is, but lose yourself in serving other people. And you will be living out the faith in the heart that the Christ wants you to have. 
And that will be your peace and your strength and your joy. And it won't be something that you or anybody else can talk yourself out of enjoying because it'll be all about having value in loving others. Amen.